It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight, we meet County Meath artisan producer Hilary McGrath, from a bit on the side jellies. Award-winning chef J.P. McMahon joins us to talk about this year's Food in the Age, a two-day symposium that aims to challenge our perspective on food and our connection to it. And at the end of the programme, we hear from Maurice O'Connell from Wayward Irish Spirits. But before we hear from our guests, a reminder that you can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So if you were tuning in last week you will remember we heard from some of this year's Blossnerin winners and I'm delighted to introduce you to another one. I spoke to Hilary McGrath from a bit on the side jellies a few weeks ago as she was about to embark on some foraging for ingredients. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Hilary, thanks so much for taking the call today. You're a busy woman because you're out foraging at the moment. I am, Sharon. I'm um, wandering around the, the highways and byways of Meath and Westmeath collecting elderberries for my Pontac jelly that I make for Sheridan's. Um, yeah. So that's it's a very narrow window, you know, that they're that they're ripe and in season. So I try and I'm out day and night now for a couple of weeks at that. That's what I'm at. Well, tell us a bit about your business a bit on the side. You've mentioned Pontac there is one of the products you do. But just go back to the beginning and tell me how it all started. Okay, so I guess how it all started is many, many moons ago when uh, we lived in Canada, myself, my husband and our kids. And I was over with my neighbour one night. She was having us over for some nibbles and drinks. And she had made this absolutely most delicious condiment that I had ever tasted out of jalapeno jellies. And she served it with cream cheese and crackers. My God, we could not get enough of it. It was spectacular. So... I went and I bought some in the shops, uh, but it just just wasn't as nice, right, as homemade, uh, as a homemade version of it. So I played around with the recipe myself and uh, looked up loads of different recipes, played around with it myself over the coming weeks and came up with a recipe that we just loved. Um, that maybe wasn't quite as hot and spicy, a bit more suitable for Irish taste. So I made that all the time when we lived in Canada, a red jalapeno one and a green jalapeno. And uh, we found it to be most versatile. So then anyway, we moved back home to Ireland and I went to look for it in the shops. Alas, couldn't get it. And while I was out in the shops looking and searching, I realized not only is there not red jalapeno jelly, but there was kind of, it was very obvious that there was no range of any kind of like high-end um unique jellies jelly flavors so anyway i didn't act on that straight away it took me a few years because my kids were still young i was still raising my children and finishing my degree and so 
anyway, lo and behold, I kept making it and making it and playing around with different flavors and different um, flavorings and different textures and different setting agents over the years. And so lo and behold, anyway, when my older kids, I have three older kids and one little one who's just gone off to college this year. So when my three older kids went traveling, I decided, right, I have to feed somebody. So I'm going to make a business out of this. So I set about making and going around to farmers markets and going to some of the independent shops and kind of getting some feedback on my flavors. Now, at this point, I was making 10 different types and I nearly had 10 strokes a day trying to do it. I couldn't even remember what the flavors were by times. It was just clearly way too many. So I cut that down to five or six because uh, I thought too much choice is sometimes a bad thing. So anyway, slowly and slowly, because I was still um, kind of working part-time on the side. So slowly but slowly, I kind of immersed myself into doing this full-time. And tell me what your degree was in. Was it anything related to food? And is your background in food? Or is this a completely... Yeah, completely different. No, my degree is in linguistics and literature, right? Because I've always loved that. And it was about the only thing that I liked in school (laughs) was languages. Certainly nothing to do with figures and numbers. Um, So no, that I absolutely love literature. I love linguistics. I love languages. So I guess that's maybe how I came up with the the name, maybe because of that kind of thing. But no, as regards to background, it's just that we've always... Myself and my husband would be huge foodies and actually our children are and our children-in-law are as well. Um, My father was actually, he had a grocery shop way back in a village in Westmead, Delvin many 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 years ago and daddy was big into his food I remember he bringing me out foraging for mushrooms and I used to go out shooting pheasants and ducks with him as well. Um, and I remember one time he get mushrooms and he attempted to make, now this was long before there was the internet and Google recipes. So we must've found an old recipe somewhere. And I remember he attempted to make, and made very successfully, lovely um, mushroom ketchup, you know, that kind of stuff. So he was, daddy was definitely big into his, into his food. So no, it's just and like any time we traveled, my first job was working in a travel agency. So I used to travel quite a bit and I always just found it fascinating to try the different flavors of different countries, you know, and always try something new. So tell us about the current range. What are the most popular products in it and where can people get them? You've mentioned speciality stores there. You've mentioned markets. You've mentioned Sheridan's. Where, what are your channels of distribution now and what products are Mm -hmm. out there? Okay, so first of all, the products would be the red jalapeno. The, the most popular would be the red jalapeno and green jalapeno. Um, in the winter time, it's very much a seasonal flavor. I think is the port and balsamic, and in the summer time would be basil. It's very light and fresh. Then I have um, wine and tarragon, uh, cider and sage, and rosé and pink peppercorn. Right. And they would be they wouldn't be as popular, the kind of bit more special specialty flavors. Um, now, my channels of distribution at the moment, um, I came to the Food Academy. So it's available in some super values, just the red and the green jalapeno in some of the super values throughout Mead. Um, and that lasts for the next few weeks. Um, so we have to just kind of see where that goes from there. So, yeah, we're we're um, I'm looking at new always kind of revamping and changing 
and things and seeing what suits best. So I'm kind of looking at a new distributor and uh, targeting more speciality shops throughout the country in the major cities. And then, of course, online, which is the really dependable one because I always have you know, get my emails every day, my orders every day, and I always have my stock there. So yeah, it's constantly, it, it's constantly kind of changing as I feel my way, because I'm still very new at this. So I try and kind of keep an update on, on my website, but my stock is. When did you start the business? So I suppose it was launched officially in Bloom uh, 2019. So you are, yeah. you're very young and you kind of came yes. along just before COVID hit. So how did that yeah. affect you? So, well, I suppose it put a bit of a halt to my gallop a little bit. Well, I wasn't really galloping because I believe in taking it very slowly, test the water, see how that works. If it works, go to the next step. If not, you know, try something else. So it did slow me down somewhat, definitely. Um, and like say in the super value shops and a lot of the other shops, you couldn't get in to do tastings, right? And of course, with a new product, because this is very much a new product, people need to taste it. And once they taste it, they absolutely do love it, genuinely love it. But you know yourself, I mean, there could be gold dust in a jar and until somebody actually opened that jar, you know, nobody really knows what it's like. So the lack of tastings definitely did affect me, but we're getting back to normal now. And tell me then about the Pontac, because that's something that not a lot of people may have heard of, but it goes really well with things like game, like venison and, and cheese, which is probably why you're making it for Sheridan's. I love researching about food and learning about food and the history of food, right? And I came across this recipe or this notion, I suppose, that people had going back about 300 years ago where they used elderberries. Of course, people depended, I suppose, on what they had at the time, right? Um, and especially they used it coming into the wintertime to pack up their vitamin C levels and probably didn't know what vitamin C was at the time, but they used it, right? And it's elderberries are very, very high in vitamin C. So what was done years ago was they just cooked down the elderberries with spices and onions. And then they used that now to be kind of the consistency of soy sauce, kind of very watery consistency, right? And very, um, oh, and vinegar as well in it and, and whatnot. So it'd be very vinegary, uh, spicy. Um, and I remember making that and tasting it and thought, okay, this is nice, but it could be a whole lot nicer if there was a bit of sugar in it, right? And if it was in a jelly medium. So I kind of had that at the back of my mind. And then one day um, I was speaking with Kevin Sheridan and he asked me, would I be interested in making some kind of foraged um, jellies for them? So anyway, lo and behold, that was kind of the beginning of it. So I told him that we'd have to wait. This was probably in the summer. So I says we'd have to wait for the autumn, get the berries and play around with this, play around with the spices that I liked. So brought it over anyway, and it was a hit. Um, and it absolutely is, it is gorgeous. It's unique. It's not overwhelming at all. Um, and it's funny because I suppose, as I say, it came from this part of the world. So I suppose it does suit our kind of um, palettes, right? And the spices that I use in it, I came up with my own blend of spices that I thought was nice. And they're all very warming spices for the winter, you know. And uh, yeah, as I say, put, put a bit of sugar in anything and it always tastes, tastes well anyway. Absolutely. And it must be great to be working in tandem and work at collaborating with a business like Sheridan's who have such a strong brand. 
unbelievable. And, you know, they're the loveliest people from the top way down. I love going over there to buy my own cheeses. I love I love all the staff there. They're an absolute pleasure to deal with. Very knowledgeable. Um, fantastic as a customer and a producer for them. They're fantastic to deal with. Um, Kevin has given me some very, very, very good advice that I have had the sense to take on board. And yeah, he's um, it's, it, it is lovely. And they're about 10 or 15 minutes away from where we live. So it's just wonderful to have them so close. And tell me about the awards that the, the products have received. You know, you're only in business, gosh, what, two years, but you have, you've clocked up a few awards already. I, yes, we did. Uh, so the first year anyway, I entered... I entered the red jalapeno jelly in Blasna Heron and it won gold and we won best in farmers market, best in mead and best startup. So it was, I was like flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted to make it as finalist as everybody knows is really a feather in your cap with Blast because I mean, it's only the top five, I think in each category that becomes a finalist. So it really is. So I would have been just delighted with that and a weekend in Dingle. <laughs> right? But anyway, that's, that's what we won. And it was, it was just so inspiring and it just, you know, really and truly encourages you to, to go on further. So then last year, then I entered the Pontac and the red jalapeno, and my basil so the basil they all made it as finalists and the basil uh, didn't win one of the top three but the red jalapeno was pipped at the post by my pontac (laughs) so the pontac won gold and then the red jalapeno won silver so this year i have my red jalapeno in it again and i have its baby sibling the green jalapeno in that i just launched this year Congratulations on all those awards today. What impact does awards like that have on your business in terms of sales and profile? You know, Sharon, it just absolutely, I know it's a cliche, it opens doors, but as I was saying one day to Fallon down at Blasna Heron, I said, you know what, it's like standing in front of an open goal and somebody passes you the ball. You know, it's up to you what you do with it. And if you don't get it in the back of the net, it's your own lookout. Because this absolutely it literally does clear the way like I mean when I go on a pitch to anybody and I I might be rabbiting on and saying whatever and then as soon as I mention that it has won a blossom hair that's it it's a you're talking on a different level then you know it just it cuts out I suppose what it does is it simplifies it for your potential customers because they think right you've won a blossom must be great so we can kind of it's like a filter okay and then so you get yeah you, you, you make much quicker progress with it well for anybody listening that wants to put an order in now through your online shop where's the best place for them to to go to so just go www.abitonthesite.ie such a great name what was the inspiration behind it i don't know you know my daughter actually um even went off to college this week asked me that the other day and i says god knows how anybody's mind works particularly mine by times but I was just driving one day and it just I was just thinking about the name I suppose and what I meant and, and as I say God only knows but the name just came to me so I thought that'd be a great name um I said it to my mother and she says oh my 
God, you're not calling it that. I says, I am. So I, now this was many years ago, Sharon. This was before, long before I launched, but I just thought that's a good name. So I'm going to register that name. So I registered it quite a few years before I actually launched. And then I was very lucky. I got to register it in the UK as well, just a couple of months, just actually a couple of weeks ago. So I, I have it there as well, which is definitely um, a good possibility, you know, make, opens up more doors for me. Brilliant. Well, listen, I'm delighted to hear your fantastic story, Hilary. It's been lovely to talk to you today and I better let you get back to to foraging there before the, the weather turns <laughs> nasty and, and you're washed out of it. Come here, mind okay. yourself and thanks again. Not at all, Sharon. Thank you very, very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard from Hilary McGrath from A Bit on the Side Jellies in County Meath which is an award-winning artisan producer of gourmet savoury jellies. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come on the programme this evening we're going to hear from Morris O'Connell from Wayward Irish Spirits but before that let's talk to Chef JP McMahon to find out more about this year's Food on the Edge Symposium, a two-day event that aims to challenge our perspective on food and our connection to it. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. JP, great to talk to you again. I think we spoke earlier this year about the cookbook that you were doing and today we're going to talk about Food in the Age, which is only around the corner. And this year it's on in Dublin in Airfield. Yes, absolutely. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward, uh, looking forward to it immensely. For somebody that may not be familiar with Food on the Edge, just explain what it is. It's a two-day symposium, and it really is for everybody to enjoy. It's not just for chefs. No, yes, as you said there, Sharon. Like it, it's, um, it began in 2015, I suppose, with the purpose of bringing chefs and industry professionals to Ireland and uh, having them speak about various issues that are, I suppose, that are current in, in the food world. Um, and also to, I suppose, to educate, to educate our, to educate ourselves and for us to try and build a better, build a better food culture. So I, I would, I suppose that for me, I'd recommend it to anyone involved in food in any capacity um, or in, 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 in a very, in a very, very broad way. And there is always a fantastic mix of speakers from the award-winning three Michelin star chefs to the local food producers. So give us a few examples of some of the people that are talking this year and what the themes are. Yeah, so our theme this year is social gastronomy, which I suppose essentially means using food as a vehicle for change for the better, whether that's food education for children, whether that's being able to grow better or being able to feed people better or, or transforming communities uh, such as cities through the use of um, of food. I suppose some, some of the big names that we have this year, we have Alice Waters from Chez Panisse 
in California. Alice was a pioneer of farm to fork dining in the late 70s, early 80s. She's a great friend of Rena Allen, who will be speaking speaking with her. We also have Virgilio Martinez is coming back with his sister, uh, Melina Martinez, and they're talking about, um, I suppose, conservation and education in relation to Peru's biodiversity. Um, uh, closer to home, we have um, uh, Michelle Darmody speaking about uh, food education for children. We also have Ella McSweeney and and Coon Green. So. We we have a we have a great mix of I suppose from the as you said from the superstars to the to the to the food producers of Ireland and the food journalists of Ireland and uh, Ireland's chefs as well. So there, the diversity for me is important because I think Food in the Edge kind of reaches out to every level and it tries to get us to change um, in 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 any way. I'm delighted to see that you have Limerick well represented there. And one of the ambassadors this year is Kevin Wallace, who is a farmer uh, just outside Limerick who grows amazing produce. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I we had we had such a strong applications for the ambassador program this year, and it was it was a hard choice. But I think definitely the people we picked, I think, represent food very very well. I mean, we also have Regina Sexton, food historian. Um, and we have Grania Mullins and um, and Janice as well. I mean, again, just people who are trying to change their their landscape through food, which is, I suppose, one of the one of the um, um, I suppose qualifications for applying for the ambassador program is to uh, uh, is to is to change your food landscape. And I think all of them are, are doing that. Grania in particular now would be well known, I think, at this stage because of the success she has had with the, the Eurotalk Young Chef um, competition and also then launching her fabulous chocolates, which look far too good to eat. They're so amazing. And I know education is something that you're very passionate about. And Eurotalk is all about using locally sourced in-season produce. And again, that organization features quite prominently on the program. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, like we would work with the uh, with the likes of Eurotalks as well. Uh, in, in I suppose in terms of trying to transform uh, the way food is seen in Ireland, and Grania is a great ambassador uh, for that. Both as I suppose as you said, as a winner of Young Chef, but as a, as a kind of pioneer and an entrepreneur in terms of setting up business in the west of Ireland and now exporting internationally. So. I think um, it, it's really great to see uh, people like Grania, uh, who have, um, I suppose, come of age in the last in the last couple of years, and uh, and I think it shows us a great hope for the for the future of Irish food. One of the things that I always look to at any event, especially if it is a food related event, is the food that is served during the event because I think that's an extension of what the actual program of speakers is and you collaborate then with Gather and Gather and in my experience having been to Food in the Age in the past the menu is always incredible. What's on the menu this year for people to enjoy during the coffee breaks and the lunch times? Oh we'll have some of the I suppose the 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 I suppose the staples of Gather and Gather. I mean Gather use the I suppose whether it's the fish or, or, or chicken or beef but I suppose one of the one of the one of the most interesting things this year is actually using the produce from the airfield farm itself. And I think that for me, um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to hold it in airfield and, 
I mean, Gather and Gather were, were very, I suppose, important in securing that. I mean, Gronya, the CEO, has, had been to all the food and the edges, but I mean, the conversations we started uh, during COVID about possibly moving it and uh, and putting it on up in airfields. But I think airfield is quite unique. And so I'm looking forward to seeing all of the different herbs and vegetables and, and even dairy, milk, eggs, all of that comes from uh, comes from the farm. I think it's a bit of a hidden gem up there in Dublin because I'd be surprised at the number of people that maybe haven't come across it or they've heard about it, but they've actually haven't been. And it's in such a central location like anybody that's been to Dundrum shopping centre it's just like a, a a two minute walk from it no absolutely and 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 I, I would be one of those people as well I mean my my father grew up down the road in in Salorgan and I I never knew it was there and my aunt visits it but and uh, he was actually telling when I told him we were going to Airfield he said his grandparents or his or his parents actually used to buy milk from the the overend sisters who who set the farm up so i think uh, yeah i think it is it's good to highlight the airfield as well because i think we're we're going to need more urban farming uh, as we as we go into the future and i don't think we can keep on relying on this dichotomy of of uh, city countryside and i think we're going to have to start growing a lot more in the cities and we need to i suppose we need to create spaces where where we can do this now, for people that can't travel to Dublin this year or who are maybe because of their timetable or their schedule or because they just aren't out and about at the moment, obviously it is going to be a very safe event and you will adhere to all the COVID-19 restrictions. But you are doing a virtual two-day ticket as well as an in-house ticket. Yeah, so we, we wanted to give that option in, 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 in the same way uh, some speakers are, are 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 will be present, and other speakers um, will be will be zooming in because of, say, Mark Best. There's still restrictions on traveling from Australia, and and so we had to balance this year with uh, because we still are. I suppose we're at the tail end of the of the pandemic, but we're still under the restrictions. So of course, everyone coming to the event will have to be vaccinated, and we'll have mask wearing. All of those. Um, uh, all of the regular restrictions will be will be in, in place, but so we did want to offer, um, um, uh, I suppose, a virtual a virtual event for the for the some of the people that did want to travel, and that's something we will keep we will keep next year because we've sold a lot of virtual tickets internationally, and so I think that it, it just helps grow food on the edge um, abroad because I think uh, to fly into Ireland and stay for a couple of days, I mean. It's an expensive process, and I mean the virtual ticket is ninety five euros. So you can you can see all the speakers, and then of course you'll get the recording as well, so you'll be able to watch them back and that. So I mean I, I think it's actually an interesting a development that has come out of COVID, and I think it is something we will keep as well as having virtual speakers because I mean I do want to bring speakers from as far as possible, and whether that's Africa, uh, the Middle East, Asia, and sometimes it's difficult for people to fly and to commit to going to Ireland for one week. So I think it actually will help Food and the Edge grow. And you've mentioned Mark Best there, and he has co-curated Food and the Edge with you in the past. Uh, absolutely. So Mark Mark is a great um, uh, champion of uh, of Food and the Edge, and it's great to have someone in, in of Mark's calibre in Australia talking about Ireland and Food and the Edge. And I mean, that's the whole... The whole purpose, or one of the purposes of uh, 
of of bringing back people is to is to is to create um is to create ambassadors that will eventually know Ireland well um uh, and um and I suppose and, and and speak about it. Well, if I look down the list here, JP, of all the different speakers, I'm going to put you on the spot now. If you had to to pick three speakers that are to you the three that you're most looking forward to hearing from which three would you pinpoint oh that's that's always a it's always a difficult uh difficult one but i would certainly say alice waters would be would be i mean i have wanted to bring uh alice to um to food in the edge many years now of course she's she's attending virtually this year but it's still for me uh, the work she has done on food education um i think Another um, another speaker. Let me uh, let me think now. Um, oh, the um, Garima Arora is um, is an Indian chef, uh, or she she's based in India. She was uh, uh, the first uh, female Indian chef to receive a Michelin star. So I'm very much looking forward to um, to 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 her speaking uh, to her speaking as well. And then I suppose lastly. The Canadian chef Mark Brand, uh, who has done an awful lot for, um, uh, I suppose for for social gastronomy and for change in the industry. But there is there's so many other ones. Matt Abergale, um is 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 another May Chow. Um, I could I could go on, um, but um, it's uh, there's so many there. The list of the speakers is up on uh, on our website for anyone who. Um, who's interested and also the program the full program is up there too and that's on foodintheage.ie and whenever you look at the speakers jp people will be asking how do you know who all these people are like tell us a bit about your network and how you identify these real cutting edge people to come and, and talk at food in the edge yeah so uh, sometimes if we we would i suppose we would <clears throat> we'd find out by them through um the channels of whether it's uh, they received a Michelin star or whether they're on the world's fifty best list. Um, but the other, the other more interesting way is they get recommended by by previous speakers. And so, um, say for example, um, uh, Joshna uh, Maharaj, who was uh, who came a number of years ago, who was working on hospital foods, recommended Mark Brand uh, as as another pioneering chef. And so. It is really people on the ground, kind of who know what's happening as well, or recommending other people around um, around the around the world. So it's a it's a very interesting process. And you yourself then have spoken at, at events like Food in the Age and other parts of the world, I presume. Yeah, no, and I think that's very important as well. And I was just over at at, at the world's fifty best uh, as a guest, and it's I mean these things are important because it's good to network and it's good to I suppose. Um, uh, be able to, I suppose, shine a light on Ireland and to uh, to tell people what we're doing, um, and I think that's uh, that's something that you have to just do continually. I think it's a very important um, aspect of, um, I suppose, of the of the of the restaurant business and uh, and hospitality in uh, in the twenty first century. Yeah, I think it's definitely very important not to underestimate the power of networking in any business in any walk of life because. It often is not what you know; it's who you know. No, absolutely, and I, and it's also just about meeting people again and uh, and saying hello to them. And so I think those things are, uh, I think these things are uh, are really important. 
Well, before we finish up, I want to ask you about your various creative outlets that you've had over the, the past 18 months. I believe you've finished your PhD. Well, I, 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 as, as other people have told me, I've submitted my PhD. Like, as far as I'm concerned, it's finished, but I have a, I have a vibe in December, so I have to defend it. But the actual PhD is written and it's gone in, and so fingers crossed. I have my my vibe, or I have to defend it, and uh, that will be that will be that. So, will it be Doctor Chef JP then, or how will we have to address? I'm not you? really one. I'm not really one for titles now, so I don't think uh, I don't think someone I said when I changed my Twitter name now to <laughs> to Doctor Eat Galway as opposed to Mystery Galway, but I think um, I, I I think I'll uh, I'll forego the the letters. I always I was always skeptical of people with letters after their name unless they were actual medical doctor. <laughs> And then the other thing I have to ask you is about the fabulous paintings that you're doing at the moment as well. Yeah, I suppose I've always enjoyed painting and looking at paintings. And uh, um, I suppose COVID gave me a bit of time. Uh, I suppose you need a lot of time and space to 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 paint with oil. It's a very kind of uh, messy substance, but it's very enjoyable. And yeah, I just started to, uh, started it up during the pandemic and started posting some of the paintings and, and, and I, and I, I suppose I've sold some, um, uh, around the, in Ireland and around the world. So it's a nice, it's a nice hobby. And look, it's just another, uh, creative outlet that, um, that I'm glad, um, I suppose I, I rediscovered and that I suppose these are the, these are the, the positive outcomes of, of COVID. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of the good things that happened over the course of the pandemic. And will we get to see an exhibition of works by Dr. J.P. McMahon maybe in 2022? Oh, who, who knows? Well, like, if there's anyone listening that uh, can, 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 uh, can offer me space, I'm sure I'll, uh, I'm sure I, um, I'm sure I can. But uh, it's also a nice thing to give to family as well. So it's my brother's birthday today, so I'll probably give him a, give him a painting as well. So uh, it's because um, it's if I just keep painting, I don't have enough space in the house to put all these paintings um, so it's uh, they're also they're not the smallest things in the world. Well, we must send birthday wishes to JP's brother. Happy birthday, JP's brother, and hope you like the painting. Great to talk to you as always, JP. Foodontheedge.ie is the web address, and hopefully, um, a few people will go on get their tickets or else get the virtual tickets. And best of luck with it next week. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks again for your continued support, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about this year's Food in the Age, a two-day symposium that aims to challenge our perspective on food and our connection to it and that's on next Monday and Tuesday in Dublin and earlier in the programme we heard the story of the award-winning A Bit on the Side Jellies which is an artisan producer of gourmet savoury jellies. If you are just tuning in now and you missed that, you can catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. 
Now, I linked in with our final guest last week. Morris O'Connell is from Wayward Irish Spirits, which is based on the stunning Lakeview Estate in Killarney in County Kerry. The company makes distinctive modern whiskies, the Liberator Irish Whiskey and Lakeview Single Estate Whiskey. And they're described as being strongly connected to a sense of place, their family and their sometimes wayward attitude. Intrigued? Well, let's find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Morris, great to meet you online. You're not that far away from me here in Newcastle West, just down in Killarney. But I'd say your surroundings are much more salubrious than mine are by the looks of it. Your background there is very majestic. I'm uh, on, on our family home and land, actually, we've been on for about 900 years. This particular house is from 1870. Uh, and uh, what you see behind me is is book, bookcases in the library. Not all of them I've read, to be honest, but uh, they make a nice backdrop. And I often get on often on video conferences, people ask me whether I'm in Hogwarts. No, it's my office. I'm glad my children aren't here to hear you talking about Hogwarts because they're huge fans, I have to say. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about your business there. You distill whiskey. You're a whiskey producer. That's what you do on the estate. But it's a really interesting story because you grow barley. Yeah. And the we, we don't actually distill here yet until 2024. So we do two things on the estate. We grow our own barley, which is quite unusual in Irish whiskey. Uh, and that is distilled for us by our distilling partner. Uh, and the first casts of that we laid down in March 2019. So it'll be officially be three years old and will officially be whiskey in March next year. And to celebrate that, we'll launch a bit, uh, some small, a small amount of that into the market. Uh, so, uh, and that will be Lakeview single estate whiskey. So it's just barley grown here and uh, malted for us and distilled for us. Alongside that, we've uh, we've re we we've rethought the old Irish tradition of whiskey bonding. So as you go around Ireland and Newcastle West, I'm sure there is one. I, I can't remember having seen one though. You'll see in shop windows, the old merchants particularly would have had whiskey bonder on a sign in their window, and basically that meant that they would receive their wines, brandies, sherries in casks, and when they sold the contents of the cask, they were thinking, what, what will we do with these? So they took them to the local distillery and they found that this created fantastic new flavours. And uh, so each individual town, each individual merchant would have their own house whiskey, so which would be different from everywhere else. Uh, so we've rethought this for the 21st century. So what we do is we commission spirit from six at the moment and probably seven by the end of the week Irish distilleries and we mature them we commission them to our specification and to our mash bill and we mature them further then we bring them down to the estate and finish them blend them and bottle them here on the estate uh, so that's the two sides of the business it sort of recreates with them it reconnects me with a, an old family tradition uh, the O'Connells were started uh in Kerry in a place called Ballycarbury Castle in about 1450. And our business then was importing wines and spirits from Spain and Portugal. 
which was a legal business in those days, uh, until the uh, Parliament brought in excise duties in 1661. So that made what, what was until then a legitimate business uh, suddenly taxable. And it's not really the Irish way, and particularly the Kerry way, to submit to taxes and rules imposed from afar. So, so, so began about 200 years of smuggling. Uh, and uh, so uh, um, that continued under and that, and that namesake of mine, a place called Derenan down close near here. So my ancestor, uh, Morris O'Connell, known as Hunting Cap, uh, built up a very successful smuggling business uh, until in about the 1820s when uh, his nephew, uh, Daniel O'Connell, the liberator, uh, started to gain political prominence and the family decided that uh, we probably needed to go legit. So, uh, so we've been out of the business from 1820 until 2018. Uh, so uh, now we're back in the blues business, but legitimately and we're paying all our taxes in case any of the revenue are listening at the moment well of course we do have the revenue office here in Newcastle. i know you do and they're, they're my local office so <laughs> but but also in newcastle west we would have the the nash family so the red lemonade yeah. would have originated oh, right. from here the nash's red le- lemonade and they would have been whiskey bonders and they would have imported wine and and did all that back in yeah. the day as well so anybody that's familiar with the history of Nash's minerals would would know that and would be familiar with the the stories that you're telling there. I must so, look out for that next time I'm going through. Is is there still a, a Nash's premises in? Yeah, there is actually, and if you find yourself in the square in Newcastle West, there is a building there, and the name Nash is is, is on the building. All right, I love next time I'm there. there. So, and just up from that's where Ballygowan Water is, where yeah. uh, Nash's would have been part of, of the beginnings of that as well. So it's great to have that history, and heritage associated with the town. And you know, talking about history and heritage, you're talking about smugglers you're talking about soldiers you're talking about poets you have a very eclectic family yeah i'm very boring in comparison but uh but uh but it's it's nice to look back on 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 what they did and the particularly hunting caps generation were a fantastic group they were they were a family of 22 children uh, many of whom went on to do extraordinary things uh, abroad uh, and at home. So, uh, yeah, this, it's a heritage you try and live up to. I think in Ireland, whenever somebody goes to buy a product of any description, they love to have that association with the history and to know the family story. And you're definitely not lacking in interesting facts and figures there and an interesting background. But tell me why you've decided to rejuvenate it. Are you a whiskey lover yourself? I always have been. uh, And... uh, We've been growing barley on the estate for years, but until about until 2018, we were wasting it on animal feed. And I thought, listen, there must be something more interesting we can do with this. But until about 2015, 2016, it wasn't whiskey in Ireland is generally a huge industrial process. It's not it wasn't possible until 2015, 2016 to do it on a smaller scale and to do it on a scale that could accommodate what we wanted to achieve here. 
so when that became possible, I started planning for for what we're doing now. So it's taken a long time to plan it and get it onto onto the shelves. Uh, we launched our first whiskey, which is the Liberator Malt in Tawny Port finish, uh, on February the 29th last year. So straight into COVID. So straight all our plans sort of went straight out the window. We we uh, we we got this this wonderful business plan to uh, to uh, to take the product into bars and and hotels, and suddenly that wasn't possible. So we had to pivot and and a lot of our sales became online sales so we had to 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 focus on that instead so i mean at the start of a business it's always challenging um but covid doesn't didn't help the the process well it sounds like you despite the challenges of covid you were able to plow ahead and you mentioned there about that particular whiskey it has a, a tawny port finish and that's yes. because it's finished off in the casks yeah and what we like to do is to use casks for finishing that have a connection with the family history uh so uh it, from 1450s they're saying we were importing from spain and portugal uh, my wife has family in the north of Portugal, and that led us to being able to find some really fresh port casks. And the freshness of the cask is very important on uh, to imparting the flavour into the whisky. Um, and uh, these were uh, fill, refilled here within three weeks of being emptied in Portugal, which is very unusually quick, uh, and it had a fantastic effect on the whisky. And as a result of that, then it actually made the finals of this year's Blossom Aaron Awards. Yeah. The first award you'd ever entered. Yes, which is, uh, it was nice to get, nice to get into the finals. It would have been nicer to get a medal, but, uh, but next time maybe. Uh, so uh, uh, it was a good first, first entry. And I gather the competition was quite stiff. So I think it was an honourable, an honourable mention. In terms of the quality of whiskey coming out of Ireland, it's something that we can be very proud of. Absolutely. It's very strictly controlled. And uh, um, I mean, Ireland has always had a huge reputation for quality um, going back centuries uh, in terms of in terms of our, our whiskey. Um, uh, so much so that that a lot of fake whiskies were put out in, in Victorian times saying made in Dublin. Uh, because that was a, a sign of quality, and hopefully it still is. Not Dublin, but Ireland generally. And I think Kerry has a great reputation for good quality food and drinks. So it's, yeah. And you've had a number of um, craft breweries have popped up over the years and, and gin producers. So to and distilleries have, as well, yeah. yeah, Whiskey distilleries as well. So to have another whiskey to add to the portfolio is fantastic for the area. And one of your plans is to open a visitor centre. Long term, it's not not the short term plan uh, because we're not set up for visitors here. So what what uh, the, the the place acts as a as a brand home really. So we have uh, trade and distributors. Uh, come to visit us mainly and the idea is to make them fall in love with the place and then fall in love with the whiskey so uh, so it, it works quite well on that sometimes so that's because we are in an absolutely stunning setting here on uh, the shores of Loch Lean in Killarney uh, it is truly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to 
Um, and you're very lucky to live there. As with, with most people, I see only the problems. And it's fantastic when, when I've got people coming here and they stop, get out of their cars, and you can see their jaws dropping. They say, wow, uh, I know they're sold then. And it, it's really nice for me to 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 know that that other people appreciate it. And I love to share it uh, because I get an awful lot back from it. Uh, and then for a while, maybe I won't notice the the leaks and the and all the other problems that that uh, there are around the place. Well, for anybody listening that would like to indulge in a little bit of the family history there, the perfect thing for them to do is to, to buy some of the whiskey. Where is the best place for them to to go to do that? Um, we're online in a number of places, including Irish Malts. Celtic whiskey and all the and all the uh, the specialist whiskey shops. Uh, we're also uh, in a number of super values and throughout Kerry and a, a number of specialist whiskey shops in Dublin as well. It's never too early to buy for Christmas, so go out and buy now. And are you exporting at the moment, or is it just yeah. available in Ireland? Yeah, we we we're exporting to. Uh, Germany, France, and Poland, and China at the moment, which is quite a, 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 a there's a lot of paperwork involved in sending whiskey to China. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're quite excited about that. Ireland's, Ireland's our home, and it's really important to us to have a foothold in Ireland and for us to be seen as a, as a local brand. Well, congratulations on everything you've achieved in such a short space of time and in the face of such challenging circumstances with COVID. We'll be keeping an eye on you to see what more progress is made over the the coming months and years, Morris. And in the meantime, it's been lovely to to talk to you. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Morris O'Connell from Wayward Irish Spirits, which is based in the Kingdom of Kerry. And that's all we have time for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in and to my guests, Hilary McGrath, JP McMahon and Morris O'Connell. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!